Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. Vellum, It Just Works. Best-selling indie author Alex Lydell, whose book Enemy Contact, an enemies-to-lovers romantic suspense, hit number 25 in the Amazon paid Kindle store, has this to say about Vellum. There are always a ton of hang-ups in the publishing process, from the printer running out of ink at just the wrong moment to Amazon rejecting margins. But Vellum has been one program I can depend on. It formats my manuscripts quickly, professionally, and, most importantly, in a way that never gets rejected by any online retailers. Visit www.trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. That's trivellum.com forward slash pants. Vellum. It just works. We're here with Elizabeth George, author of the Lindley Mystery Series, which features Thomas Lindley. The 21st Lindley book will be coming out soon. So I think one of the biggest questions that I have for you as a writer and with my listenership being composed of writers as well, how do you keep not only your readers, but yourself interested in your characters after 21 books? I think that it helps to create more than one continuing character. And it also helps to create a character who has a significant background and who has brothers and sisters as well. In doing that, what I did for myself is I also created many areas for exploration in the lives of all of these different characters that I have. So that keeps the characters really fresh for me. Additionally, though, I think it's super important to create characters that you actually come to love. I heard P.D. James speak once upon a time about Dorothy L. Sayers. She said that Dorothy L. Sayers was actually in love with Peter Whimsey, which may or may not be true. However, that was the strength of her books. She made Peter Whimsey an unforgettable character. And I think that it's really important to do that because otherwise you run the risk of saying, oh, my God, I've got to write another book with this person in it, which is the kind of the position that Agatha Christie found herself in with her Kill Poirot, especially. And uh, she said at, at one point or much later in her career that she really wished she had created someone different as her main sleuth because she was really sick of 
Hercule Poirot. He was a limited character in that he was by himself. I mean, it was Captain Hastings, but he's essentially by himself. We never learn anything about him other than what he, we learned in the beginning, that he's Belgian, that he's a retired detective. He has a egg-shaped head, a mustache, wears patent leather shoes, and likes chocolate. I wanted to paint with a bigger brush than that, let's say. They have to have the depth of real people. We have real people in our lives that we continue to interact with for decades, if not a lifetime. So I I think characters in fiction need to reflect that as well and have that depth. That's what I was going for. And as a result, when I do a new novel with these characters, the moment that any of the continuing characters appear on stage for the very first time in that book is always really delightful for me. So a specific question about writing with a character over a long series of time, and the mystery genre is particularly a great example of this. I was speaking with another mystery author who's been writing a character for a long time, and one of the things that we talked about is the passage of real time and the character and their aging. Do they exist out of time? Do they exist in time? And and how do you handle that? Because, for example, you've been writing this character since 1988. How do you handle that particular element when you're working with such a long tail of time? You have a choice. You can freeze the character in time, place, and circumstance, the way Agatha Christie did with Hercule Poirot, or you can move the character through time. And I chose to move all of my characters through time, but time has really slowed down for them. In the very first novel, Lindley is 33 in the first novel, and I believe he is now 39. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 39. Could be 36. I'd have to do the math, but he's aging uh, very slowly. That was a deliberate choice on my part because obviously if, if time passed for him the way it passes for me right now, he would be long since retired, probably dead as well. So I, so that was, that was the first decision I made is I'm going to move him forward, but it's going to be really slow. But then what happened is that technology has changed so much over the years. When you consider that when I wrote my first book, there were not even cell phones, let alone the internet and everything that's associated with the internet. So as a result, um, I had to make a decision. Are these people going to be moving very, very slowly through time so that circumstances are going to move slowly? Or are they going to move really slowly through time, but circumstances will be allowed to change, specifically technology? And I went for that option. The characters stay relatively youthful, but technology has changed a lot. And so far, nobody's ever said to me, wait a minute, wait a minute. He starts out when they're using telephone boxes. Now talking about cell towers, I I just chose to ignore it. And what's really funny is nobody's ever mentioned it to me. Personally, if I were writing a a long series with that type of success, I would go the same route. I think about these things just as a writer. I also think that within the mystery genre, well, within all genres and within fiction, and usually per novel, there's something that you're just asking the readers to accept, suspend their disbelief for just a moment about this one thing, and I've always called it a gimme. Your character is existing through time while not necessarily aging. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, it's just more fun that way. I I did the math on when Adam Dalgleish and P.D. James' books, when he finally gets married in her final book, and 
you know, I mean, he would have been pretty darn old at that <laughs> point had she been mentioning his age, which she didn't do. Uh, otherwise, I think he would have been 100 years old getting married. Most of these books begin with the main characters are they're professional crime fighters or they are independent sleuths. But you begin right at their adulthood. Like in the case of the late Sue Grafton, her decision was that uh, she was going to do 26 Kinsey Milhone cases as if they were one right after the other in her life. And so she was going to freeze time. As a result, though, she uh, had a lot of trouble remembering what things were like in, I think the yeah. books are set in 1988. And that was really tough. Think of it. We have to go back and go, well, like, what did we know at that period yes. of time? And, and there's no technology the way it is today. But additionally, forensic science was totally different in 1988. And that's when they first started using DNA profiling. And even then, that was in its super infancy. Anyway, yes. so uh, that's a lengthy answer to your question. No, it's a wonderful answer. I think it's something that writers have to take into account if they want to be working with a recurring character. It's something that you probably have to have mentally established early on so that you're taking the right steps at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. You really do have to make that decision. Otherwise you're up the creek. <laughs> Agreed. So you mentioned technology and this is something else that comes up when I'm speaking with mystery and thriller authors today. I think one of the big things that we come across is putting a character in peril. One of the first things you have to do if you're writing in a contemporary setting is to either get rid of their phone or get rid of their cell service. That's right. That's right. It's tough to disappear a character in this day and age. I think this was the first book where I got into significantly using mobile phone service as it exists in London and pinging and following phones based on pinging, which I had never done before and had to learn about. It's really true. And additionally, you have to ask how easy it is to commit a major crime, especially in London, because in London, there are cameras everywhere, CCTV cameras. If you're out on the street in London, you are photographed about 300 times a day. The fact that people still decide to commit crimes is sort of a mystery to me because generally what happens is that they broadcast the CCTV film on television and, and then people can help identify who the person is. And they have those not only for pedestrians, but they also have two different kinds of cameras that are dealing with cars. And they have one, it's called the ANPR system. Not only do they show a car passing, but they also record everything that is available about that car too. So, I mean, you might be driving one of 6,000 Ford Transits in London. But if the ANPR camera gets your license plate, it's all done by computer. It's sort of like, okay, here's who owns that car. Yes. Yes. And now with the prevalence of doorbell cameras and porch oh, cameras, yeah. we're seeing on the news not that long ago, a woman, I believe, like forced into a van and she was yelling, screaming out the window when the van went past someone's house. They happened to catch it on their porch cam, called the cops and boom, like luckily the woman was safe and everything was fine. But it is a conversation that I have with mystery and thriller writers often as a human being moving through the world today, and especially as a woman, it makes me feel much safer. But as a writer, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so much more difficult now. 
Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's, it's very difficult. Of course, in England, you can take care of that by having something actually take place out in the countryside. Wouldn't even have these because there's never been any, any historic need to have CCTV cameras everywhere. There might be a shop that would have a CCTV camera or somebody's house might have one. But as far as having it the way they have it in London, no, as a writer, you don't really have to worry about that. Create beautiful books with Vellum. Create ebooks for every platform with Vellum Kindle, Kobo, Apple Books, and more. Each specialized file will guide readers to buy your next book in their store of choice. For print, choose your trim size, and Vellum does the rest, giving you a professional result. Vellum 3.0 features 24 styles with 16 all-new designs. Each one allows for multiple configurations, giving you a new world of options for your books. Add a rich background behind the beginning of every chapter. You can even set the mood with white text on a dark background. Vellum comes with six illustrated backgrounds ready to use in your book, as well as a custom option where you provide your own. Also included in Vellum 3.0, new options for fonts, TikTok for social media, size control for custom ornamental breaks, and new trim sizes for your print books. Vellum, create beautiful books. Started in the midst of the pandemic, the founder of Hydronique Hydration, a frontline healthcare worker, began developing constant headaches due to not being properly hydrated while on the job. Available drinks with all the necessary vitamins and minerals also came with a ton of sugar and caffeine. That's why he created Hydronique Hydration, sugar-free, keto-friendly, plant-based, antioxidant-rich electrolyte powder packet. For daily use, they contain all the essential vitamins and minerals with a refreshing taste. Hydronique Hydration also contains elderberry, which has immune-boosting properties for support during this cold and flu season. Hydronique Hydration electrolyte powder packets can also fit in your bag or suitcase when traveling, if you can remember traveling. So, if you have trouble drinking healthily during your busy days in 2022, but want a sugar-free, keto-friendly vitamin drink, give Hydronique Hydration a try. Each pouch contains 30 electrolyte powder packets, perfect for a one-month supply. Visit the website, hydroniquehydration.com. That's www.hydroniquehydration.com. Hydration. Com, or buy on Amazon, where there is currently a $10 coupon for a one-month supply. Visit hydroniquehydration.com to learn more. So you've brought up London quite a few times, and I wanted to ask you about writing British police procedure when you yourself are in American. The differences essentially between these two cultures, I don't know how deep they are or how you go about that research process. 
Initially, as far as learning about policing in London, the only way that I could learn about policing in London or in any other part of the country was to actually stop police on the street and ask them questions. Things really altered for me when I was writing a book called For the Sake of Elena. That takes place at Cambridge University. How do I get my Scotland Yard detectives involved in Cambridge University? What happened is that I went to the police station, told them what I was doing, told them I needed to speak to a detective. They asked me to put the request in writing, which I did, and then uh, a detective called me that night. And from that point forward, I had a really wonderful relationship with him, and I needed something at a certain police station. He would make the contact for me. And now what happens is my editor's assistant in London is really, really good at putting me in touch with people in not only in the police, but in various other organizations as well. So it's gotten a lot easier over the years to learn about policing. The tricky thing, though, is that uh, the Metropolitan Police in particular keep changing their setup. So now they have these, I think it's like five policing areas in London, and they all are represented by these really big buildings in in. The new novel, Something to Hide, the building is called Empress State Building. Then they take care of a number of boroughs in London as they continue to shut down police stations and try to centralize more and more. I use, obviously, the Internet for all of my research, and I've had it at my disposal since I began writing. I cannot imagine how much more complex the research process would have been before the Internet. It was really tough. My third novel was called Well Schooled in Murder. I wanted to write about a British uh, boarding school. And having never been to a British boarding school, I had to learn about them. The best way to learn is always to talk to the people who are there. Where are these schools? And can I find somebody within the school to talk to me? So I started out by locating a book that was about the British schools. And uh, the only copy of this book was at the library at Stanford University. One of my former high school students was a student at Stanford University at at the time. So I asked him if he could look at this book and if he could find for me six different boarding schools that might be willing to talk to me. And so he found them. And then I got in touch with them the old-fashioned way as I wrote them each the headmasters a letter to ask if I could come and interview them and see their school. So that's what it was like in those days. Where were we before Google Earth? I mean, that's right. an incredible tool. I use it often if I want to understand my setting and it's somewhere I haven't been. All of the work that you just listed off, and that was just to make initial contact. And that's how I got the information on the British boarding school system and, you know, talk to headmasters, talk to teachers and talk to students. Pretty big tasks to set something like that up first. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was really tough. Speaking then of specific cases or crimes, how do you go about finding inspiration when you're at the 21st novel in the series? How do you ensure that you're not doing any replication? One of the things that is is a benefit of writing about London and especially about England, there are so many diverse locations to be explored. And very often it's the location that gives me the inspiration to do the story. 
For example, in Cornwall, here is a very small part of England that has within it the surfing community, the hiking community, they have the mining community, and they have the fishing community. And so these are all separate walks of life. And each of them provides me with inspiration. So when I did Careless in Red, I knew that I wanted to do something that involved the surfing community. Most people would not associate surfing with England. It is a big sport in England, and there are surfing areas all over the coastline. But I, I figured people really didn't know about that. And so that became the foundation of the novel. So what happens when I explore a place is that I get suggestions all the time and I get ideas all the time. And sometimes what happens is that somebody will just say something to me. Years ago, I was doing a a book signing and this woman gave me her book and, and she said, you need to set a book in Lancashire. I said, really? Why? And she said, because it's the witch country. And so I handed her a piece of paper and, and said, write down every place you think I should go. <laughs> and nice. I, and so sometimes it, it just happens like this. Someone will say, why haven't you written about? And then add something to it. And then there are times when I take an area that's really familiar to people, like the Lake District, and I'll find out something in the Lake District that people probably don't know about. In this particular case, it was these towers that were built to uh, protect people from the marauding Scots who would come across the border. I never knew that that existed. That became part of lives of the characters in that novel. Yes, you do never know when something's going to land in your lap like that. And you basically always have to be ready. Exactly, exactly. If you could please let my listeners know where they can find you online and where they can find your books. My website is elizabethgeorgeonline.com. They can follow me on Instagram, E-G-P-I-X. P-I-X. They can follow me on Twitter at Lindley Mysteries. And to get the book, wherever you have a bookstore. It's out now. The book is in your local bookstore, be it large or small. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.